I love Christmas. I love the story. I love the season. I love all that it means. But if you know me at all, you know I'm not too crazy about the cleaned up Hallmark version. You know, Joseph and Mary went camping in Bethlehem. Not so much. You know, not cute little sheep and a baby that didn't cry. Uh, no, not really. Uh, the, the real story of Christmas was gritty. And uh, that's what, for me, gives it its power. And so I love to think about sort of the, the, the unexpected side of the Christmas story. And that's what I want to talk about. Before I get into that, though, I want to really uh, encourage all of us that next Sunday is a huge opportunity to reach out. I mean, there's no better time to bring family and friends than on a Sunday when the kids are going to sing, right? (laughs) Well, four of us are excited about it. Uh, I hope the rest of us get excited. So the ticket that's in the program today, please take it out, take it home, give it to somebody and make the ask, okay? Make the ask. He was up in years, very old, according to the Bible. And the Christmas story starts with him, not with Mary and Joseph, not with Bethlehem, uh, not with the shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. That's Luke chapter 2, and that's the part most of us kind of know by heart. But the story starts before that, the story before the story. Um, he was a priest, one of 18,000 priests living in the land. And um, there wasn't an opportunity for everyone to serve because uh, there weren't that many jobs to do at any given time. And so the 18,000 priests were divided into 24 divisions. And the 24 divisions had about 750 priests each. And Two weeks a year, they got to serve. And the two weeks in which the division of Abijah were uh, on duty, Zechariah came anticipating that he might get to do something special, and God showed up. It was that one day that uh, they cast a lot early in the morning among the 750 who were there. And the lot fell to him. His name came up for a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity because that meant that he would be the leader for that day and he would get to light the incense offering. And once you had been chosen to light the incense offering, it was considered so special you could only do it once. Your name would never be put back in to the draw. Once you'd done it, that was it. And his name had come up that morning. And so he went into the holy place and prepared to, to take the, um, the gold bowl that had embers in it, hot embers he had picked up himself from the brazen altar on his way in. And he was entering a room that he had never entered before, but he knew exactly what to expect. On his right was a low table with 12 loaves of bread, freshly baked, God provides our daily bread. And on his left was a golden candlestick with seven branches, seven uh, wicks with oil burning bright, reminders that God is the God of light and wisdom and truth. And straight ahead was his 
goal, his object, three feet high, 18 inches square, covered with gold, the place where the incense would be burned. And so Zechariah walked into the room, you know, with the weight of that moment upon him. The, the weight of the expectation and the prayers of the people and the weight of the sense that he needed to do it exactly right. So he walked up and put the coals on the altar, fanned them into flame. The incense was on top and it caught and the smoke billowed up through the roof and everyone who was outside, all the priests who were serving with him, had gone out to wait among the crowd of people who had come to worship. And when the smoke billowed up and they saw it, they would join their prayers with his prayers. No doubt many of them had a prayer shawl like this with the Shema imprinted. The Lord our God is one God. And remember when Jesus said to enter into your closet and pray? That's exactly what they did. And he led them in that great prayer. El Elion, God Most High, may you come and deliver your children, Israel. Adonai, Lord of all, will you send Messiah to deliver us? The two prayers they always prayed every day when the incense billowed up. But the scripture tells us that in that moment, on that day, in Zechariah's once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, something went Desperately wrong. As he was about to pray, as he entered into prayer, he could feel it. There's someone else in the room. And someone else being in that room at that moment was like the worst thing that could happen because it would desecrate the offering. It would spoil everything. No one else was allowed in there. And he looked up and just to the right of the incense altar was this glowing being who spoke to him. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. The Lord has heard your prayer. And Elizabeth will have a son, and you will name him John. <laughs> really? Really? I think we need to check the facts and look at the story. If you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 1, because we're going to check out what the circumstances were surrounding this experience that Zechariah had. Because the scripture says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But, but, they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both, would you read that last sentence? And they were both, how old? Very old. Very old. Um, according to most scholars, they say probably in their 80s at least, okay? Uh, they weren't having babies at their house. I mean, grandkids maybe, but not babies. They, they weren't the age where they should be buying Depends, not diapers, right? Uh, they should be pushing a walker, not a baby stroller, Right? And so there was no expectation on Zechariah's part that this could possibly happen. But, but look here at how they're described. They were righteous. Both of them were righteous in the sight of the Lord, observing all the Lord's commandments and decrees 
blamelessly, but they were childless. You know, I know a lot of really good people who have tried hard to live a godly life and follow him, but there is a but. There is a problem. There is a disappointment. There is a bad diagnosis. There is a work situation that's not working out. There is a family division that's not getting healed. There is a problem. Uh, Sometimes good people have problems. And it's not their fault. It's the way life is. Did you know that life isn't fair, but God is good? Life is not fair, but God is still good. And so in their difficult circumstances that according to this text, they don't deserve, right? They didn't do anything to deserve it. So if you're going through a hard time and you're ever tempted to think that it's somehow your fault, it's not. It's not. It's, it's the way life is. It's the way this broken, fallen world uh, has experienced the impact of all the sins of all the people for all time. It doesn't work the way God intended it to. And so here in the middle of this story, we understand this, this principle. And if you're filling in the outline on the back of the program there, uh, that's the first fill-in that sometimes uh, peace comes in an unexpected way through difficult circumstances. That just when you think it should go a certain way, it doesn't go that way. But God is still good and God is there. And God is in the moment. But the story goes on. And I love the rest of the story because Zechariah thought that, you know, that person being in the room spoiled everything. But we know that's not exactly what was happening, was it? God was up to something Zechariah didn't expect and Zechariah didn't understand. Because when he questioned this messenger, when he questioned the fact that he and his wife at their advanced years could possibly have a child, what was the answer? I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. And because you have doubted me, you will be unable to speak until this thing comes to pass. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. You're going you're gonna to miss out. You're going to be quiet. You're going to endure this time to kind of listen and allow God to work in your life. But it's going to happen. God's miracle is going to happen. And you will, in fact, have a son. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get frustrated with God's timing. It's not mine. Sometimes it takes longer. Sometimes I don't understand what he's up to or what he's trying to teach me. But his ways are not my ways. His ways are above my ways. And your ways. And if you're in a waiting time and in a dark place and in a struggling place, Don't give up. Don't doubt. You know, someone has said, don't don't doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light. Don't don't doubt his goodness. Don't doubt his character. You know, um, this week, uh, a a close friend of ours, kind of a shirt-tail relative of ours from Canada, posted on Facebook that he received uh, one of those diagnosis nobody ever wants you know he'd been through several surgeries and now there's no more reg wrote on the last line of his post he said 
you know, I'm still trusting God and he can do a miracle, but probably someday soon I will be praising my Lord face to face. And, you know, I thought he didn't, he didn't deserve that, you know, humanly speaking. Wonderful Christian man didn't deserve that, but he's trusting God no matter what. He's trusting God no matter what, and you can too. And so this, this angel messenger gives Zechariah this unbelievable promise that they will have a boy. <laughs> and I love the way, uh, the way Zechariah puts it. He says, how can this be since I am very old and my wife is along in years? It was like he was being polite, you know what I mean? I'm really old and she's kind of old and, uh, you know, how can this be? And of course the angel says, I'll show you. (laughs) God will show you, right? God is still God. Whether you get it or understand it, he's going to find a way. (laughs) You may not feel too frisky, Zechariah, but God will make a way, right? Uh, your, your, your wife may have passed the change of life a long time ago, but <laughs> your life is really going to change. And so Zechariah, not understanding what God is up to, goes home, obeys the angel, um, sleeps with his wife, and miracle of miracles, she becomes pregnant. And for nine long months, he doesn't say a word. And the Bible says that for five months, she goes into seclusion. I imagine to try and figure this thing out and to figure out what she's going to tell her friends, right? (laughs) And she probably doesn't want to say this is going to happen until it shows, until there's evidence that can be seen by others. And then we're told that in the sixth month of her pregnancy, she gets a surprise visit from her cousin who's also going to have a miracle baby. Aren't you glad God spoke up after 400 years? I love the Christmas story. 400 years of silence. You could hear a pin drop from heaven and then bang, bang, bong. Angels everywhere, right? Gabriel's on overtime, right? He shows up here. He shows up there. God speaks. Prophecies come true. And God does what no one could even imagine God could do. And most of all, Elizabeth needs time to process What's happening in her body, this miracle of God. Let's watch a video clip that'll help us get there. Well, you know, spring chicken. That's the first thing my neighbor said to me when I told her I was pregnant. Can you believe that? Maybe she just didn't believe me, but I don't I don't hold it against her. She'd been a tad bit cranky ever since she found that scorpion in her girdle drawer. (laughs) Maybe she just didn't realize what a miracle this was for me. I mean, Zachariah and I had been trying to have a child of our own our whole lives. By the time most of my hair had turned gray and Zachariah's had turned loose, we had given up hope. He seems to delight in making life out of barren places. And as if that wasn't enough, the angel who brought us this unbelievable news had even more to say. This child, our son, would be used by God to prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. This was all too much of a gift to be real. 
And I thought, how am I going to train this child for a job like that? But God had those details covered too. And it keeps getting better. When I was about six months along, my cousin Mary came for a visit. And no sooner had she said hello than this unborn son jumped and flipped inside of me. Right then, God just opened my eyes so that I could clearly see that this young girl standing in my home was also with child, and he would be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. About nine months later, we got the news from Bethlehem. And I looked over at Zachariah holding our very own miracle baby. I had one of those God moments. <laughs> you know, when you just realize, you say, God just had different plans. He had brought us life in barren places. He hadn't forgotten about us. And he would never leave us alone again. That's great. Powerful stuff. You know, one of the things that Gabriel said to Zechariah was that their son would go forth in the spirit of Elijah and he would turn the hearts of the parents toward the children. Uh, I put a fill in on the back of your program there. And the third one says, peace should first impact my family and friends. Does anybody know that the hardest place many times to live out our faith is at home? Uh, anybody ever raise your voice when you know you really should lower your voice? You know, Anybody say something you later regret and don't know quite how to make it right? Anybody find that Christmas kind of pushes a lot of buttons that don't get pushed any other time of year? And why is Christmas a particular challenge for families? Well, for one thing, your routine is all messed up, right? And your holidays kind of don't run typically like they do every other day. For another thing, you spend more time together with the entire family during those three or four days, maybe even a week, than you do any other time. So you don't get much space, right? You're just like there all the time. And so are they. And you know who they are. And actually, some of them come from out of town or across town. You know, the, the crazy cousin. Everybody's got a crazy cousin. If you don't, it might be you. I don't know. But, uh, uh, you know, the, the challenges of the Christmas season seem to me to be strongest for families. And here's this word that the spirit of Elijah is being sent through John the Baptist and eventually through Jesus the Messiah. And here's what I know, your Christianity can work at home this Christmas. You can speak in a kindly way. You can act in a helpful way, in a Christ-like way. Wouldn't it be great if this Christmas, everybody at your house acted more like Jesus? <laughs> I mean, let me try that again. Wouldn't it be great if everybody at your house acted more like Jesus? Including you. <laughs> yeah, that's where the big amen comes, right? Including you, especially you. 
You know, isn't it interesting that we act like Christians when we go to church? But, you know, how do we live when we go home, right? How do we speak? How do we act? How do we treat one another? And so that's my prayer, that the prophecy of Gabriel will come true for you. That God will turn your hearts toward one another in your family. And then I love the end of the story. I can only imagine what that circumcision ceremony was like. Because Zechariah and Elizabeth take their eight-day-old baby boy to the temple for the sacred snip. Right? They take, they take him there for the circumcision and the priest uh, takes the child and asks them his name. Now remember, Zechariah hasn't said a word for nine months. And the angel said, you will name him you will name him John. And so when they come to the appropriate time, since Zechariah doesn't talk anymore, and it's really not considered to be a woman's thing, the men of the family step up. <laughs> anybody know a man that's a little full of himself? Don't, don't hit anybody yet. It's kind of a man thing, a macho thing, right? The guys step up. Well, we know, what the, we know the baby's name. The baby's name is Zechariah. The baby's name is Zechariah because that's our family name. The baby's name is Zechariah because that's his father's name. The baby's name is Zechariah because... This guy's been pretty amazing. He served in the temple. He lit the incense offering. He had some kind of vision. Of course, the baby only named after him. But Elizabeth speaks up, right? She speaks up. She says, no, no, no. His name is John. So in order to settle the matter, what do they do? Well, they go to the old, <laughs> to the old man, who's literally an old man, right? They go to him and they ask him and they give him something to write on and something to write with. And they say, what do you say? Because they know what he's going to say. He's going to say, Zechariah. And he writes, John, his name is. I wish the English translations of the New Testament put the words in the right order. In your Bible, it says his name is John. That's the way we'd say it. But if you look at the Greek text, he wrote John, his name is. Why is that important? Because the very first thing he wrote after nine months of silence was obedience to God. The name, John. God is gracious. Zechariah, God remembers. Elizabeth, God is an oath. He keeps his promises. Have a baby boy. John, God is gracious. And he names him. And I love what the text says, that as soon as he wrote the name John, his mouth was open and his tongue was loosed. And he writes one of the most beautiful songs of praise in the entire Bible. About the last 10, 12 verses of Luke chapter 1. They are awesome, right? This is like his, his best moment. He thought his best moment was going to be the day in the temple. But no, this is his best moment when he does what God has asked him to do. And now here's the take home. Obedience unleashes the power and the praise of God. 
Doing what you know God wants you to do is the key. Not feeling a nice feeling. Not being inspired by singing Christmas songs on a Sunday morning, as beautiful as that is. It's obedience. It's doing the thing God has asked you to do. And here's what I know. God speaks to me. God speaks to you. You know, we we talk about how's your family doing and what's Christmas going to be like at your house. And you know. You know there's maybe an apology that needs to be made or a relationship that needs to be put in the right direction so that it can go into a healthy place with the grace of God. And the key to a real victory and joy in your life is obey. Do it. Don't think about it. Don't pray about it. Do it. Do it. John, his name is. You know, we we all want a, a Christmas season that will have more a spiritual meaning. Um, you know, we've been thinking of, of, during this whole time about the, the tree of giving and families in our community. And Pastor Shane was telling me this awesome story about when he talked to the woman at the school system about giving a particular gift and um, a family that needed help during Christmas. And he said that she told him, she got emotional about it. Said, well, there's one particular family in our school system that, uh, um, you know, the kids obviously don't have decent clothes to wear. They're kind of torn, and uh, we we think, in fact, they're homeless. They're living with somebody else. And he said, we're going to give your church that family. We just feel that that's the family, one of the families you should get. And I don't know about you, but sometimes you know I have good intentions. I think I want to do it. But Zechariah tells me that the joy comes and the victory comes when I do it. When I do it. And I was thinking, you know, week after week, we come to church and we close. And, and you know, and I'll say, maybe, maybe you'd like to pray about something. Maybe, the, maybe there's something you need help with today from God. And you have all the good intentions in the world to, you know, kind of try to do a little bit better, but it's like, do something about that. Say yes to the Lord. Act, act in such a way that you unleash His power in your life. Obey Him, right? Admit to Him, I need help, I need your touch, I need your grace today. So would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you so much for this incredible story. How you worked in Zechariah and Elizabeth. and How you can work in us. And I just think that for every one of us in this room, obeying you means something, something specific and unique to us. Maybe we need to be forgiven or some act, some, some word, some attitude. And we want it, we want it, Lord, but we just pray, I pray that right now we would do something about it. And Lord, as we think about spending the holidays with family and, and friends, there may be stuff in our 
family situation that needs a miracle. And it needs to start with us. We need to say, yes, yes, Lord, that's me. I need it. I need your help. I need to be more like Jesus at home. And maybe there's this act of serving, reaching out. Maybe it's, maybe it's having the courage to invite someone to church that we haven't connected with in a long time. I don't know what it is, but you do. And so in our heart of hearts, right now, we obey. We obey. We need you. Help us. And with our heads bowed and no one looking around, if that's you today, if you need a touch from God today, would you just raise your hand and say, yes, pastor, that's me. Pray for me. Doing that is like writing on that tablet, right? Lord God, you've seen every hand of every person and you know exactly what they meant. And I pray that you would do the miracle in them that they need from you. Give them the courage and the faith and the will to do whatever it is you ask us to do. And I pray that for every single one of us in this room. May this be our best Christmas ever. May our family, our home, our community be blessed by the parents being turned to the children and the children to the parents. And may the coming of Christ be a blessing to us, to our home, to this church, to this community. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you stand and let's sing.